Amen. Thank you, worship team. If you will, let's go ahead and take our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This morning, we're going to make our way through verses 57 through 80 as we continue through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, watching the impossible be made possible through the miraculous works of God. And so, let me just kind of remind you of what we've looked at so far in the Gospel of Luke. It all began with the angel Gabriel showing up, speaking to a prophet named Zechariah as Zechariah was there inside the temple offering an incense sacrifice to the Lord. It was there that the angel appears to Zechariah and tells Zechariah that the prayer that he had been praying was about to be answered, that his wife was about to bear a son and that son was going to be great before the Lord. Now, Kind of giving you the context, Zechariah and Elizabeth had one or two major problems that made this a very difficult promise to fulfill. One, Elizabeth had been barren her entire life, and although they had tried and prayed and pleaded with God for years, she had never been able to have a child. Secondly, her time of having a child had long since passed. She was well past the age of childbearing. Remember that Zechariah referred to himself as an old man, but he was smart enough that he referred to his wife as advanced in years, right? You never call your wife old. Advanced in years was as close as he could get to describing her, but she was well past the age of having a child. And although Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, is standing before Zechariah in the temple declaring this news to Zechariah, Zechariah is so old and his wife Elizabeth is so old that he asked the angel for a sign because he doesn't believe what the angel's telling him. Remember the sign that the angel Gabriel gave Zechariah? It wasn't a rainbow, right? It wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, here's your sign. This is going to be great for you. He says, because you've doubted me, you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born, right? And so Zechariah leaves the temple unable to voice what had just happened. Also remember the historical context. God hadn't spoken for 400 years to the nation of Israel. For 400 years, God had been silent. When God finally speaks, he speaks through his angel to a man, and then he mutes the man so the man can't even tell you what God said. That's ironic and funny to me, amen? And so God has finally spoke, but the man that God has spoke to has been muted, and we're going to see today not only muted, but as we see all throughout Scripture, typically muteness and deafness go hand in hand. Zechariah is going to be communicated with today, and he's going to be communicated with through sign language because he obviously or apparently cannot hear as well as is unable to speak. And so the angel Gabriel leaves Elizabeth and leaves Zechariah after allowing them to conceive a son, and then the same angel goes to Mary. And tells Mary that she is also going to conceive in her womb. And she is going to bring forth a child. And that child is going to be even greater than John the Baptist. He's going to be great, period. He's going to be great because he is going to be the very son of God. Remember, Mary asked that legitimate question, how? I'm not married, never known a man. That's not possible. And the angel Gabriel explains to her that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her and the child that she is going to have is going to be the very Son of God, the promised Messiah who will save the world from their sins. And that is exactly what we find transpiring throughout the first two chapters of the book of John. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Mary and Elizabeth have now come together. When Mary visits Elizabeth, John the Baptist inside of 
his mother's womb, leaps for joy because of the presence of the Lord has entered the room. And now we pick up in verse 57, after Mary and Elizabeth have separated, they've gone their separate ways, separate ways, and it's now time for Elizabeth to have her son. One of the things we've seen, one of the things we've seen over and over is that John the Baptist, even in his conception and birth, is preparing the way for Jesus. Remember, that's his role. He will prepare the way of the Lord. His miraculous conception prepared the way for Jesus' miraculous conception. And we're going to see this morning that his birth is going to prepare us for the birth of Christ that we'll look at next week in chapter 2. So pick up with me. We're going to start in verse 57. We're going to read through verse 80. And then we're going to walk through the text together. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John, and they all wondered. Verse 64, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. In verse 67, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited, he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies and we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And in verse 76, Zechariah begins to speak directly to his son, John. And he says in verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot in this text. And there's so much to be thankful for and to give you praise for this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, discernment, and insight into this text. That as we make our way through it, Lord, we would see how you have fulfilled your promises. That we would see that you are worthy of praise. That you are worthy of our worship. That you are worthy of our lives. That we can trust you because you keep your word. And Lord, I pray that we would see that clearly this morning and that you would be glorified in us and through us today. We love you and we surrender ourselves to you now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text this morning, we're going to see three ways in which God has fulfilled his promises. Number one, God fulfilled his promise 
through the birth of John the Baptist. Now, what we understand in this text is not just that Elizabeth has conceived a child in her advanced years, but here we see the fulfillment of that promise and John the Baptist is actually born. And so as we pick up in verse 57, the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth. She gives birth, she bears a son, and all of her relatives, all of her neighbors and friends, once they find out that not only has she conceived in her old age, that's miraculous enough, but mama and baby are both healthy. That is worthy of praise. Amen? Anytime we see someone give birth and mama and baby are both healthy, it's worthy of praise. But when someone is advanced in years like Elizabeth, that's what everybody's so afraid of. So when mama and baby both give birth, everybody's healthy and the relatives and neighbors hear about it. They all come over to rejoice before the Lord. Eight days later, they come back and they're ready to do what the Old Testament, the Old Covenant required. They're ready to circumcise the child and therefore fulfill the old covenant requirement that called for circumcision. And so as they're circumcising the child, apparently for them, this is when they would have named the child. And so they decide the relatives and family and friends. Don't you love nosy and and, and, and just in your business, family, friends, and relatives, amen? They're going to pick your child's name for you. Well, isn't that helpful, Amen. Isn't that such a delight? Such a, just, oh, thank you. I can't, oh, that's fantastic. Yes, please name my child for me. I don't have any say in that. Why would I want to name my own child, right? And so they're like, we're going to call this child Zachariah after his father. And Mary's like, I mean, Elizabeth's like, what? I don't, I don't get a say in this. I didn't do anything. He hadn't even spoken to me in nine months, right? Get it? He was mute after. Okay, here. You'll figure it out later, right? And so, so she's like, no, no, no. His name is going to be called John, period, right? Now listen, my wife and I, we've had two children, and I was there at the birth of both of my children. I was there at the beginning stages of both of their lives, and I can tell you that if Carrie had said their name is going to be this, at that moment in life, whatever she said, I was going to go for, right? I'm not arguing with her after all that she went through. Like, you want to call him, you know, whatever? That's fine. Call him chair. I don't care. You get to make the call at this point. You've done enough, right? But oh no, not the nosy, not the in-your-business family, friends, and relatives. They're like, no, you can't call him Zach. I mean, John. He's going to be called Zachariah. So they ask Zachariah. And they, he, can't, he can't hear, apparently. He can't speak. And so they somehow sign to him, what do you want the child to be called? Right? Zechariah asked for a writing tablet. He writes on it, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth is opened and his tongue is loosed. Now, you want to talk about a miracle. You want to talk about something that would grab your attention, right? You've already heard through the grapevine that Zechariah had seen a vision of the Lord and had communicated with an angel. He has probably at this point written out the details of what happened to him while he was there in the temple. He's not been able to communicate via speech, but he's been writing down, he's been expressing praise, glory, and honor to God for nine months now, anticipating the date that this promise would be fulfilled. And finally, the child is born, and Zechariah is 
hoping that his mouth will open and he will get to speak. Can't you imagine? You've been waiting your entire life. You're well past the age of having a child. Your son is born and you can't even give praise to God. You can't comfort your wife vocally. You are still unable to speak in the moment. I'm sure, listen, if Zachariah knew Naaman his child would have solved it, he'd have probably named him instantly, right? John, right? Eight days later, at this event, he finally writes out his name is John, and miraculously his mouth is opened, his tongue is loosed, and what can Zechariah do but praise the Lord? Amen? All he can do is sing and shout praises to God. As a matter of fact, we're going to see what he says about his child and about the Lord in verses 67 and following. But what I want you to first notice is what takes place in verse 65. Fear came upon everyone. Word began to spread throughout all the hill country of Judea to the point that everyone was wondering, everyone was pondering this in their heart, asking the question, what does this mean? Who is this child going to be? You see, Zechariah and all that were present had begun to let their minds go there. They had begun to let their minds wonder, could this be the coming of the Messiah? Could this be that God is finally speaking again? Could this be that God is finally going to fulfill His promises? Could this be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord? And so their minds begin to wonder. Excitement begins to grow. And what we see is that word begins to spread. Now remember, for 400 years, God had been silent. But before God stopped speaking to the nation of Israel, He had declared to the nation of Israel concerning the one who would prepare the way of the Messiah. Remember Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Then after 400 years of silence, remember, God speaks through the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, and this is what the angel Gabriel tells to the father before the child is born in verse 17 of chapter 1. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Sound familiar? Right? And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. For nine months... Zechariah knew that the angel had told him that his son would be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. For nine months, he's been unable to utter that out loud. He's written it down. He's done charades. He's signed it. He's tried to make it clear. My son will be the one to prepare the way of the Lord. But he's been unable. And finally, his name is John. And he's immediately able to speak and he's able to tell people, my son is the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. My son is the one who will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. God is about to send the Messiah. And what we find is that even in the birth of John the Baptist, John is preparing us for the birth of Jesus. He's preparing the way for the birth of Jesus. And what we see is God keeps his word. 400 years earlier, he had said, I'm going to send back Elijah the prophet. 
Now, the nation of Israel thought it would be actually Elijah. Because remember, Elijah did not die. He was taken up into heaven. And he, he, was, he, was, he was taken up through a fire of chariot, a chariot of fire, right? And so he, did, he didn't actually die. And so Israel thought that Elijah himself would come back. And what we see, the New Testament makes clear, it's not Elijah. It's John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah that comes back to prepare the way of the Lord. And so... What we have is God fulfilling his promises through the birth of John the Baptist. And then secondly, we see that God fulfilled his promise through the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Now, in verse 67, we're we're told earlier that Zechariah begins to speak blessings to God in verse 64. But what we see in verse 67 is what exactly Zechariah declares. And so his father, Zechariah, notice this, is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. In other words... Zechariah now is no longer speaking from his heart. He's no longer speaking from his own mind and thoughts. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is speaking on behalf of God. Right? That's prophecy. Prophecy is thus saith the Lord. God is using Zechariah as a mouthpiece, but this is God that is speaking. And here's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? Because he has visited and redeemed his people. This speaks of God's offer of salvation and reconciliation to Israel. But it speaks of more than that. It speaks of God's offer of salvation and reconciliation to the nations. Remember, it was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that first sinned against God. It was Adam and Eve that were declared to have to pay the penalty of sin, which is death, and therefore they were separated from God. And sin has been passed down from them all the way down to us. And all of us are born with this barrier between us and God. We feel it. We know it. Amen? We experience it. We're not as close to God as we want to be. We don't have that intimate fellowship with God that we that they once knew in the garden. We long for that. We were created with the desire for that. All of us long for that. But we've never truly experienced it without this barrier of sin between us. And so when Zechariah declares that God has visited Israel to redeem them, all of us, not just Israel, are excited because God is now making a way for salvation and reconciliation to come to the nations. Right? Because it was God who declared to Satan, one day the seed of this woman is going to stomp your head and going to defeat you. One day salvation is going to come to mankind. It was God who said to Abraham that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed, not just Israel. This is good news for all of us, amen? And so Zechariah, speaking on behalf of God, says that he has visited, he's redeemed his people. Notice this in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In other words, God was fulfilling the covenant he made with David and he was sending the one who would establish the everlasting throne of God. Now, this means something to us, not just because it's a promise to us, but we've been walking through the book of Daniel leading up to this, right? We have seen God declare through the prophet Daniel that one day there will be a kingdom established, but it will not be an earthly kingdom. It'll be a heavenly kingdom, and it will last forever. God is finally fulfilling the promise that he made not only to Abraham, not only to David, but even through the prophet Daniel. God's about to send the one of the house of David who will establish the everlasting throne and kingdom of God. Not only that, notice 
God was also sending the one that the prophets of old spoke about who would rescue Israel from their enemies. Notice that in verses 71 and following, it says it as he, or excuse me, verses uh, 70 and following, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God was about to save Israel from their enemies. Now, here's where Israel got confused. Israel expected that this prophecy would be fulfilled as God rescued them from their physical, earthly enemies that they could see. In other words, they thought God would rescue them from Rome, right? That was the, Israel, the enemy of Israel at the time. What Israel failed to understand is that Israel had an enemy that had been a common enemy since the foundations of the earth, since Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden. And Israel's history is clear. Their number one all-time everlasting enemy was sin. Nation after nation after nation came against Israel. Israel was fine. They could conquer any foe as long as they were walking after God, right? They walked straight through the promised land, defeating all of their enemies, barely even having to wage war. Sometimes all they had to do was make a circle, blow a trumpet, and walls came down. Right? There was nothing that could stand before them as long as they were walking after and following after their God. But Israel never continuously followed after their God. They continually fell into sin just like we would have and we still do. Amen? And every time they fell into sin, God would judge them. Every time they fell into sin, God would remove them from the land. Every time they fell into sin, God would bring them into some kind of captivity. When God says here that he is going to rescue them from their enemies, it is not Rome, it is sin. It's the same enemy that you and I still struggle with and face today. Amen? And that's what makes this such good news. No longer do we have to struggle with sin for all of our existence. There is a day coming for those of us who've placed our faith and trust in Christ where the struggle will be over and we will get to experience eternity without sin. That's worthy of an amen, right? I mean, seriously, do you not get tired of struggling with sin? Are you not absolutely sick of disappointing yourself over and over again? Are you not absolutely frustrated asking God to forgive you for that same old sin yet again? Man, I cannot wait for the day that that is over with. I cannot wait for the day that that is no longer a prayer concern of mine where I no longer have to come before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for that. I can't wait for the day where all I have to do is voice my praise to God instead of my, my, my sorrow to God. Amen? That's going to be a good day. And that's what is happening through the birth of John the Baptist, through the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. And so then we continue to see God is fulfilling the covenant that he made with Abraham. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the, the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Listen to this, verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God was fulfilling the old covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham, that God remade with Moses, that God continued to make with David. God was fulfilling all the old covenants that he had made. God wasn't going to just take them away. God was going to fulfill them all first. 
And understand, God cannot usher in the new covenant where we're saved by grace until he first fulfills the old covenant. Because if God doesn't keep his word, then his word is not trustworthy. Make sense? God can't just say, you know what, that old covenant, eh, let's forget that. No, 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 it's a covenant. It has to be fulfilled. If it's not filled, then it's broken. Therefore, we can't trust the one who broke it. So God is going to fulfill the old covenant, right? And in fulfilling the old covenant, he is going to allow Israel and all who follow him to serve him in holiness and righteousness. Listen, if there's one thing Israel had never experienced, it was true holiness and righteousness. If there's one thing you and I have yet to fully experience, it is holiness and righteousness, right? That's that, that's that sort of theological difficulty of the New Testament where we see that we have already been made holy. We've already been made righteous through the blood of Christ. But we've yet to fully experience it, right? I, I've never experienced what it's like to not have sin in my life. Right? I've never experienced what it's like to not be tempted. Never, never been able to, to just not guard my mind and my heart. I've always had to be on edge. I've always had to be sober, be vigilant. I've always had to have my head on a swivel, if you will, to make sure that temptation wasn't about to knock me down, right? But what we will experience one day is true holiness and true righteousness when Christ returns to take us home where we will be with him for that everlasting kingdom and throne that he's establishing, amen? And it happens because God fulfills his promises, And so God fulfilled his promise through the birth of John the Baptist. God fulfilled his promise through the fulfillment of the old covenant. And then thirdly, God fulfilled his promise through the offer of salvation. Look with me now in verse 76. Zechariah begins to speak not just to the nation, but now his attention is on his infant son. And he says to him in verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And notice the continual theme, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. What was John's assignment? It wasn't to magnify him. It was to magnify the one coming after him. Amen. John would be the prophet of the Most High God. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit now and gets to praise God. Mary earlier was filled with the Holy Spirit and got to praise God via song. John the Baptist is going to be one who speaks for God consistently and constantly to do what? To prepare the way of the Lord, right? He's going to make ready the people of God. And how's he going to do it? Look with me in verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Look with me at verse 77. This is important. This is important for you to understand. In order for us to have knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sins, we first of all have to have knowledge of sin. We can't have knowledge and understand salvation and forgiveness unless we first understand the significance and the reality of sin. So let me make sure you understand. Sin is real. Sin is when you and I miss the mark of God or disobey God or do something that God does not want us to do. You say, that happens in my life all the time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Sin is real. Sin is significant and sin is a problem that every one of us struggle with. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone who's ever walked the face of the earth has sin in their lives. 
The problem with that sin is that sin is like dirt on our soul. And it separates us from a holy and righteous God. Right? This past week, we were hanging out with our, with our family back in the Charlotte area, and, uh, and they were all riding four-wheelers. And, and we, were, we were playing and hanging out and, and just having a good time. Well, Haley and me and Noah had to go to my dad's shop. For those of you who don't know, my dad's a mechanic. And so my dad is always greasy, right? Like his, like his skin tone is grease. That's, he's, he's not black-white. He is grease. That's what he looks like, right? And so no matter, no matter what time of day, if you go to the shop, he is going to be covered completely and totally in grease. As we are walking into the shop, I realize Haley's wearing a brand new white t-shirt that she had just gotten. Right? She'd got it during Thanksgiving, Black Friday special. It's her, in her words, it's her second favorite shirt. Not her first favorite. She wouldn't have wore that to the shop. She wore her second favorite shirt that happens to be completely and totally brand new white. And as we walked into the shop, I looked at her and I said, don't you touch granddaddy. Don't like, don't look at him long. You'll get grease on you. Like, like love him from a distance. Don't touch granddaddy, right? We get back to the shop. Dad's working on a a 40 something model car. He's old. He works on old cars. He's up underneath it. And literally there is grease and transmission and oil. There's, it's running down his arms, dripping off of his elbow. And, and what does he do? He's like, Hey, come give granddaddy a hug. (laughs) Thanks dad. Right? Leave granddaddy alone. Because how much grease does it take to ruin a white shirt? The slightest amount, right? How much sin does it take to separate us from a holy God? Yeah, And we got plenty of it to go around. You see, that's the problem with sin. Sin is something we all have, and it's something that separates us from a pure, holy, and righteous God. And so in order for us to be reconciled back to God, to be made right with God, in order for us to be saved from that problem, we have to have the sin removed, right? We got got to have the sin taken away. Listen, my dad has got some of the most powerful gojo and and whatnot to to wash his hands. He's he's never been able to get all the grease off. There is not a cleaner. Doesn't matter how much grit is in it, the, the grease is permanent. It'll never completely go away. Right, so we got to have something really, really powerful to take away the sin that's in our life. Right? In the Old Testament, God commanded that they shed the blood of goats and bulls. Right? They make sacrifices to pay for their sin because sin causes death. What did God say to Adam and Eve? If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Sin cost death. And so for years, God commanded to paint a picture, to show Israel what was required. He commanded that they make sacrifices. And what did we discover? The blood of goats and bulls cannot take away the sin of man. Right? It's not worthy enough. It's not powerful enough. Right? It doesn't doesn't get clean like it ought to get clean. And so God sent his own son, Jesus. And he sent his son, Jesus, so that he could live the perfect life that we could not live. Ultimately, so that he could die the death that we deserve to die. So that his blood could be shed for us and his blood would be worthy enough to take away our sins. And is there any doubt that the blood of God's own son isn't worthy enough to take away our sins? Right? It's Jesus. It's God's son. Of course his blood is worthy. And so that's what John the Baptist is going to do. He's going to go out and let Israel know that even though you think you've lived a good life, 
even though you are religious, even though you attend church on a regular basis, even though you feel like you got it together, you are a sinner. And you are in need of forgiveness for those sins. And the only way for you to have salvation is for you to accept and put your faith in the one that is coming after me. Well, praise be to God, we live on this side of that history. And we are no longer pointing people back to Jesus. We are pointing people to Jesus. Amen? And we are letting people know that Christ did come. Christ did live that perfect life. He did die on that cross and he victoriously rose from the dead so that you and I could not only have our sins forgiven, but we could be brought back into a right relationship with God. We could have that sin removed from us. Now, as one who's put their faith in Christ, let me tell you, that sin gets removed. We are completely and totally made holy and righteous. But we won't fully experience it. We won't fully understand it and have access to all the holiness that we have until Christ calls us home and this sinful body that I still live in will be taken away and replaced with a glorious body. Right? So I just don't want you to think that, listen, if I ask Jesus in my heart, all my problems are going to go away. Nope, they're probably going to get worse. Right? If I ask Jesus in my heart, I'll never struggle with sin again. That's not my experience. Matter of fact, my experience is that I struggle with it more. Because now I know what the righteous standard is. And now, instead of worrying about just the big sins, I'm not going to murder anybody today. Check that off my list. Now I have to worry about what my eyes are seeing. What my mind's contemplating. I didn't even know those things were sin until I came to know Christ. Right? I didn't even know that was a problem until I came to know Christ. And now I realize that even the littlest of sin is a big deal. I've done pretty well. I haven't murdered anybody this week. Right? Check that off the list. Listen, I drove to Charlotte and back. There was a couple times it was close. Right? Traffic's rough, y'all. Right? But listen, I've avoided the big ones. But that didn't mean I didn't lose my temper on the way home a couple times. Carrie said on the way to Charlotte, you ought not honk at people like that. I'm like, they need to know that they're in the way. I am, I am fulfilling a public service here. I'm letting that person know that he is in the way and that he's driving in the left lane when he should be cruising in the right lane. Right? You do know that, right? Like, I'm just saying. There are too many Jerry Smiths and Tad Atkinsons in the world that are just cruising in the left lane all up in my way. Right? Move over! I'm trying to go home for the holidays, please! And what we begin to realize is that we all struggle with sin. And it's a big deal. It's a huge problem. Amen? And John comes on the scene saying, I can't fix the problem, but I can introduce you to the one who can. And John points people to Jesus. He gives people knowledge of salvation and knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. And that is exactly what we need. And notice why in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. It is not because we deserve it. It is because our God loves us. Amen. So if you're sitting there this morning, if you're watching us online thinking, I'm not worthy, you're not. And neither am I. None of us are worthy. Amen. But God loves you. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. Notice that as, as, as Zechariah points us to that through this prophecy in verse 78. He says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. 
Now, the idea here of sunrise, we're not exactly sure how that points to Jesus, but notice verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. What becomes clear is when you look at Luke and you compare it to what John says of Jesus in John chapter 1, Jesus is the light of the world, right? The light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so Zechariah, through this prophecy, even though we don't understand it, Zechariah knew full well what it meant, but God sent the sunrise. In other words, God sent the sun from on high. Amen? And the sun, Jesus, from on high, sheds light into the darkness. Jesus reveals sin. The reality is, we can fool ourselves into thinking we've been pretty good from time to time. Right? We can. Like, I, I can. I can get pretty arrogant, and I can begin to think, eh, you hadn't done anything too bad lately. Pretty good. Doing pretty good. Right? Until I compare my life and my righteousness to Jesus' righteousness, and I realize that, no, still got a lot of dirt in my life compared to him. Right? You, you ever taken, guys, you know, some, some of us this morning, we're wearing white t-shirts, right? And I say, well, white t-shirts, because if you took off the t-shirt I'm wearing and you compared it to a brand new out-of-the-pack white t-shirt, you know what would be revealed about this t-shirt I got on right now? It's not white. Hadn't been white in months, apparently. Probably years. You know, I wear them until you can see through them, right? So, like, if you're like me, you don't have a new white t-shirt. You have t- white t-shirts that have some age on them, right? They're not white any longer, amen? And when I compare my righteousness to the righteousness of Christ, it's real clear I'm not righteous. Pretty nasty, actually. Pretty dirty. Kind of like this t-shirt. I'm pretty gross. Right? It's time for some new white t-shirts. Right? Maybe, maybe for Christmas. Woo! Right? Right? And that's what we see. Jesus reveals the righteous standard of God. He shines light to those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is awesome. Jesus shows us how to have peace with God. He guides us into the way of peace. He's telling us, y'all, y'all, come here. Come here. Come, come this way. Follow me. It's through my death. It's through my resurrection. It's through faith and trust in me that you can get back to God. Right? You've, you've wandered out. You've gotten lost. You've gotten filthy, nasty, and dirty. But if you'll just come through me, then you can get back into a right relationship with God. If you'll just come through me, you can have everything you've been looking for. Your life won't be perfect yet, but there is a day coming when he will establish that everlasting kingdom of God. And if you've put your faith and trust in him, you will be a part of that everlasting kingdom. And guess what? It's everlasting. And for all of eternity, you will have peace with God. Amen. And then in verse 80, don't miss it. John exits stage left, if you will. He goes off into the wilderness where he grows in the Lord, right? And that phrase goes off into the wilderness. It prepares us for another one of God's promises that we see in Isaiah 40, verses three through four. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, excuse me, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. You see, John can't prepare the way of the Lord unless he's truly the one who will come in the spirit of and Eli- the power of Elijah. He's got to fulfill all the promises, including the one that God made through Isaiah, that there's going to be coming a guy from the woods 
and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. So where does John go? He goes into the wilderness. So he can be the one to prepare the way of the Lord. Why? Because God fulfills his promises. He fulfilled his promises through the birth of John the Baptist, through the fulfillment of the old covenant, and through the offer of salvation to all mankind. And he will fulfill his promise. He will return again. And he will establish his eternal kingdom. The question is, will we, will you be a part of it? Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's going to embarrass you, anything that's going to put you too far out of your comfort zone. But here, here's what, I, here's what I, just, I just want to get you to think about. If you're here this morning and you've never really understood what it means that you are a sinner, what it means that your sin cost death, and, and, and you've never really had anyone explain that to you before, you've never fully comprehended the gospel, or maybe you have, but you've just never gotten to the place where you've decided to do something about it. If that's you this morning, and you feel God speaking into your heart, I want you to know that I am not able to do that. That's not some trick that I'm able to play. That's not some power of persuasion that I have as a man. If someone is speaking into your heart, it is God and it is God alone. That means that God loves you. That means that God is calling out to you to save you from your sins. He's offering you forgiveness. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and you feel God calling out to you, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing the hymn of invitation. And if you feel God calling out to you and you feel God leading you, then then, then you're invited. You come and just say to me, Will, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Christ. You may be here and you think, well, I've got questions. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I know I need to talk about it. Listen, then, then after the service, come and find me and just say, Will, I want to talk to you about my salvation. I want to talk to you about what God is speaking into my heart. And listen, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know God's calling out to you. And I would love to talk with you more and share with you and explain to you how God is speaking to you. But if you feel God calling out to you to be saved, to be forgiven, then do not leave here today until you deal with God. Believers, if you're here this morning and you've already trusted Jesus, let me encourage you, walk with the Lord. Follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist and let your life magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Deal with whatever is in your heart, whatever's in your life that is not pleasing to the Lord, whatever sin you're struggling with, and I know you are because I am, we all are, just just confess those things before the Lord and just recommit yourself, reevaluate yourself and make sure that your life is magnifying Jesus. You may be here today and the Lord is leading you to make this your church home. You may be here and there's something else totally going on in your life and you just need someone to pray. You want to come to this altar. You want me to pray with you, for you, whatever and however the Lord is leading. You follow him now in faith and in obedience. Lord, we surrender ourselves and we surrender this invitation to you and we ask that your will would be done in us and through us now. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.